Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Elizabeth, great to see you and super excited to chat with you. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. What about sharing with us what you are doing these days? So I'm a time management coach and I've been doing that for over 11 years. So that's still that's still happening. It's not exactly new. I think what is really, really fascinating, and just in terms of when we're recording this, we're in the summer of 2020, is that so I've had a very international audience in the past, and then it became more domestic. So more of my clients were in the United States. And then now in these last two, three months with everything going on with COVID-19 and the changes in the world, my audience has gotten really international again. So in the past few months, I've had not only people from the United States sign on as clients, but also from Switzerland, Denmark, UK, Ghana, Australia. Um, And so it's just really fun to be interacting um, with these coaching clients. I do both one-on-one coaching as well as group coaching. And then I do a lot of writing. So I've continued to write a lot of articles for Fast Company, Harvard Business Review during this time, as well as write devotionals for the Version Bible app. That's a super cool thing to do, to help people to get things done. How did you reach that place when you knew that that's what you wanted to do? So I'm really good at getting things done. Um, <laughs> that's part of that's part of why I have my job. Uh, so my like my story in terms of how I became a time management coach was actually the opposite problem: getting too many things done. I had no work life balance, and I was working all the time. And so then I needed to figure out how to say no and set boundaries and plan so that I would have night time off at night and on the weekends. Um, However, I have many, 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 many coaching clients that struggle with like getting caught in the minutia and getting things done. And a big part of what's essential for them, as well as for me, is that the just the simple practice of doing daily and weekly planning. Mm -hmm. And so what that looks like, um, weekly planning is life changing for so many people, but it's so simple. It basically is you pick one time a week. Usually it's like a Friday afternoon or maybe a Sunday night or Monday morning. I personally prefer Monday morning. Mm-hmm. And you look back over the previous week and see what happened. So is there anything you need to follow up on or something you didn't get done that you need to move forward or make note of? You look over the coming week and you get clear on your meetings, your commitments, anything you need to clarify, reschedule, cancel, prepare for. And then you look at your to-do list or your project list and you decide 
what's really important and what do I really want to move forward for the week? And that's where you really get out of that minutia. Because if we just like are, are in our email or just doing like the little teeny tasks, it's fine to do those, but then we don't get those big chunky things done. Um, but if we get clear, like, so for example, for me, like if I get clear in my mind, this week I want to write this article or this week, like I, I want to um, work on buying this thing that I need for my business. Then it's clear in your mind. You can put time in your calendar to get it done. And then you're having all the little small minutia things fall around those big things instead of having your whole day with those little small things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love the idea of paying attention to how we're spending our time, hour by hour, day by day, and reflecting on that. Now, that's like a balancing act between what we need to do, what we want to do, and doing the stuff that we care about. So how do you handle that? So it's it's kind of both an internal and external shift. So it was in 2007. And in terms of the internal shift that was happening, I was in a program where you really are processing your life experience from when you're a baby to the present. Mm-hmm. And I realized I had some false beliefs around my worth being in me doing things and getting things done. So what that meant to me is the opposite. So if I wasn't doing anything, I was worthless. And so then that creates this like anxiety in you about ever resting, about ever like taking a pause or like having a Sabbath or like just relaxing. Cause you're like, if I don't get things done, I'm not worthy, you know? And, and you have this like driving force. So internally what I needed to do was really get clear. I know my value and worth as a person is just for me and me. Like if we think about it, when a baby is born, when I was born, when you were born, when anyone listening to this show was born, you hadn't done a thing to deserve love or anything. Like you literally were in the hands of strangers who are now your parents and you are totally helpless and you need everything. And yet you're totally worthy of love. Mm -hmm. absolutely worthy of love in that moment, just because you are. And so that is always true. And that doesn't mean we act like babies our whole life and, you know, have everyone serve us. But that fundamental concept that you are worthy of love just because you are is, is really essential to getting the balance. Mm -hmm. And then on the practical side, the external side, what shifted was a few things, one better boundaries before I had just this mush between work and personal life. So I would work late at night or on the weekends, but maybe I'd meet a friend for coffee during the day or like do errands during the work day. And I really needed to establish firmer work hours. So I usually work from, I would say about nine or nine 30 to six, more or less Monday through Friday. And, um, during those hours, like not doing personal things like errands, not meeting with friends and getting really clear, no, this is really my work time. Mm-hmm. And then also the opposite being true of when I get to that end of day or end of week, not having it really be my personal time and not drawing work into it, which now is pretty easy because it's just something I've established for so many years. Um, But back in 2007, before I was a time management coach and I had different business, it was very hard. And I like literally felt like I was going through withdrawal symptoms at first. Like you like experience anxiety from letting go of the computer, but it's good for you. And it helps you to learn like, no, I can stop working. I don't have to work on the weekend. Don't have to work at night and everything is fine. 
Thank you for sharing such a powerful shift that you made. It's amazing to hear that when you started setting boundaries for yourself and checking what you really need every day and every week, the way that you think of yourself also change. I'm wondering how much anxiety, fears, and worries you may have because setting boundaries with others, saying no, asking for what we need, or giving ourselves what we need can be really hard sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, definitely at first I experienced a lot of anxiety. So, because it was so programmed that you're safe if you just work all the time, you know? So it was like, so you're like, wait, maybe I won't be safe. Maybe everything won't get done. Um, But over time, like I said, I learned things work out. I learned to plan a lot better. So to do my daily week and weekly planning. So I knew when things would happen. Um, And I learned to not make silly promises. Like I used to do things like, Oh yeah, I'll have that to you tomorrow when they didn't need it tomorrow. I could have just said, I'll have that to you soon. And I was like creating my own stress by telling everyone I'll have something to you by tomorrow. Um, And I think a lot of it is just like really coming at it from a place of self-compassion and Mm -hmm. self-care. So that idea of I'm here with myself, I'm going to affirm myself. I believe I have value. Um, Even if things don't go just right, or even if there is a night or a weekend, what I need to work on the weekend or at night, I'm not going to beat myself up or criticize myself. I'll just be like, okay, well, that didn't go as I hoped or expected. What can I learn from that? How can I adapt or adjust from next time? And just like really challenging your fears because I had that fear that I have to say yes to everything or I won't get work again. I was working in freelance journalism, like writing, editing, photo styling, or the fear that, again, if I didn't work all the time, that things wouldn't get done. And when you recognize like, no, you, even if you say no, sometimes people still do give you work. Even if you um, don't work on the weekends, you can still get everything done. Like you overcome your anxiety through experiencing the opposite. And so that's how you give yourself experiential knowledge that shows those fears to be false. Like now it's just such a part of my lifestyle. It's normal, but that was not true at first. Mm -hmm. I love what you just said. I think for me, the way I think about managing anxiety, fears, and worries, it's all about taking action. When we overthink what we're stressed about, we keep ourselves stuck. But if we take action, even if it's a micro step, we are going to learn to make room for all the noise that shows up in our head. It's like we are going to learn to manage our fears by doing instead of trying to figure out the meaning of our thoughts or the meaning of our feelings. Right. So, I mean, part of it is just very practical in terms of making sure I have a place for the things that need to get done. Um, So making sure that I look very clearly at, well, what, like, for example, looking at my calendar and being like, okay, this is the deadline. I see that I have these open times in my schedule. I'm not doing this right now, but I know I will have time. So that's like very factual in terms of giving yourself that very clear um, ability to see that, no, there is another way for this to get done and it's going to be okay. Um, Another way that I would confront it is just that I 
really value relationship with people. I really value relationship with my friends and family. I really value relationship with God. I really value um, exercise, being outside. And when I was working all the time, I was not aligned with those values. So I wasn't being my best self. And so knowing that it was keeping me from being my best self really challenged me to, to say, okay, if I want to live a life aligned with my priorities and my definition of success, I have to make a change because just working all the time does not make me feel successful. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the third thing is I am a Christian. I'm a person of faith. Mm -hmm. And I really felt like the third way I overcame anxiety. And there were even some times where I didn't have a plan. Like I did not know how things were going to get done, but I really felt that I needed to, stop is just like trusting God was going to take care of it. Either like a meeting got canceled and would open up more time. Um, or I could get a deadline extended or something else happened where I really was able to get done what I needed to get to get done. And so I think it was, it was threefold, like first, just the practical putting time in place for things. So I was secure that I knew when it would get done. Um, secondly, just really recognizing, well, what are my values and my real definition of success? Um, and then third, just having faith that it would work out and not, not needing to control everything. Elizabeth, just for curiosity, how did you discover the stuff that is important to you? How did you discover your values? So in terms of discovering my values, um, so it was actually like a long process for me. So I was very school focused in high school, like very, very school focused, like straight A student, like they're the nerd. <laughs> um, and just like really, really concerned about my grades, getting to college, getting scholarships. So I really deprioritized relationships. I did not spend a lot of time on friendships. Um, between I did a lot of dance so between dance classes and clubs and school like that was most of my life mm -hmm. and um, and so then in college I started to relax a little bit more about school I still did very well but like I opened up to deeper and more friendships mm -hmm. um, and then it was really after college that and it was through this process of, of in 2007, the whole idea of like being unconditionally loved. Mm -hmm. It was the idea of shifting from being a human doing to a human being mm -hmm. and just realizing how I'm actually someone that like loves relationships, really appreciates friendships. I have a lot of friends. Um, I really appreciate my family. And I, so it was recognizing that when I was younger, I had a value system, I would say based on fear, like I need to perform in a certain way in order to have what I want, which at that point was getting into college and getting scholarships. Um, and then when I was out of college, I feel like I gave myself more freedom to discover who I really was. And that was someone who was very relational and very focused on friendships and relationships. So I feel like I went through that process, but then starting a business in 2005 got me off kilter again because I was just like, oh, I have a business and I need to make it work. And I felt fell into that false paradigm of to be a successful entrepreneur, you need to work all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I got really off track again. And then in 2007, I was like, no, wait, this isn't right. This doesn't feel good. I don't care what people say. 
I really do want to put relationships in high regard. And that's what got me shifted back. So it was kind of a, I would say over the period of years, honestly, figuring out what I really cared about, what really made me happy and just who I was created to be. Elizabeth, in the process of figuring out your values, it seems that you came up with your own definition of success. How do you see success these days? It's, it's not about having the biggest business or making the most money or, um, I don't know, being the coolest or whatever. <laughs> uh, it's just about living a life I love and being authentic to who I am. For example, a business opportunity comes my way, but it would make me unpeaceful like stressed out, not have time to love myself or people or God well, then mm -hmm. that is something I will say no to because it's not, it doesn't matter how much money it will make or if other people think it's cool, like I need to be aligned with, with what makes me happy and what makes me feel successful. I appreciate that your definition of success is what really works for you. Now, Something that I keep thinking about is that when doing what matters, that comes with certain degree of distress and anxiety and fears. How do you distinguish when some of that stress is worth it for you or not? That's a really, really good question. So, um, and I would say it's a little different for each person. So I really like try to come at my coaching from non-judgment, um, meaning that I have some coaching clients who like the amount of work they're doing and how they're living their life may not be something that I would want or works for me, but they're okay with it. And then I have some people that um, for various reasons are working much less than I am and that's what they want and doing what I want would be wrong for them. So like, I think first of all, we need to really come at a place from non-judgment. People have different goals. People have different energy capacities. People have different life circumstances. So like, I think the first thing when answering that question, like, is the stress worth it or not worth it is like, what's right for me may not be right for you. So like, don't, don't be like, Oh, Elizabeth could do that. So I should be able to, or vice versa, you know, like, so, so we need to start out there. And then I would say that like, what, at least how I tend to look at it is that I'm okay with temporary, I would call seasons of stress. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm not, willing to have that as a lifestyle. So, mm -hmm. so I'll give you a few examples. So I've written three books and books are a lot of work. Like, and I've, I have, when I write my books, I don't take time off. Like meaning I still keep coaching clients the whole time. So it's not like I'm someone who just is like, Oh, I'm writing a book. Like I'm not doing any other work. It's like, no, I am coaching clients. I'm answering email. I'm doing all that. And I'm not someone who takes a long time to write books. Like the longest I've taken, I think is five or six months. Mm -hmm. um, and I usually write them shorter than that. So in shorter time. So um, with that being said, that's a massive amount of work. And I definitely change my lifestyle. So I will end up working probably one or two nights a week. Um, and then also usually work on Saturday. Um, so not all day Saturday, but what I would do is go to a coffee shop and like work on writing or work on editing or any of that on a Saturday. Um, is that what I want as a lifestyle? No, like I really value having my evenings free. I really value having my weekends free, but like the books I've written are 
so important in reaching people's lives and people still like read even books I wrote six or seven years ago and they're like oh that helped me so much or that was so great so so it's I understand it as like a short-term pain but that has a big long-term gain in terms of blessing people expanding my reach and all of that so that's like a little more dramatic thing and so so I feel like that kind of stress is worth it and leading towards my goals versus like, for example, I do some speaking, but I personally, and I love time management coaching, but I personally don't like to do like in-person time management training, like the half day, full day seminars. Mm-hmm. I just don't like it. It's just not my style. So, um, I don't do those. And I just like, when someone contacts me, I refer them to someone else and it's fine. And so it's the difference between, okay, I'm, I'm busy, but this leads to a really good payoff. It's aligned with my goals and purposes versus I love coaching and it's me. I actually really enjoy speaking. I love doing these interviews, but the training just doesn't resonate with my soul. It's just not who I am. Mm -hmm. And so that's a, that creates stress because it's not being like honest about who I am, what I want to do, how I'm most gifted. And so that's the kind of stress that's that's about misalignment instead of just having like a busy season. I absolutely love the differentiation you're making, especially at a time when there is so much pressure to get things right and perfect. And sometimes when we say no, we may say, oh my gosh, did I make a mistake? Yeah, uh, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, I can relate to them. And there's also, and usually why it's not as hard to say no now is like, I've said yes to things and I've been like, oh, why did I do that? You know, like you're going to make some of those mistakes. Like you're going to say yes to a project and that you hate, like you really hate. And then like, you're going to be like, you need to step back and be like, what was it about this that did not work for me? Was it that I didn't like to do the work? Was it that the expectations were off? You're going to have those times. It's just going to happen. And again, part of it is learning from experience. I, I don't think that we should not be open, but when you try something and you hate it, or if you already know you're going to hate it from the beginning, um, remember that, like, remember that that stress is not worth whatever, money you might make from it. It's not worth that being said, like big, like asterisk surgeon general warning. Like I'm not saying everyone should like quit their job right away. Cause it's not your perfect job. If like you have a job and you want a new one, look for it, start looking for a new jobs, start interviewing. Or if you want to start a business, you can start that on the side. Some people can quit their jobs and they're just fine and they work it out. A lot of people can't. So, um, there's, I think healthy concern, I appreciate your clarification in two levels. On one level, it's important to be honest with ourselves and look at our values and the stuff that matters to us. And in a second level, we also have to think about the context, right? I think for me, the question is, in this context, in this given setting, what's the type of shift or what's the micro step or the micro action I can take towards my values? So I think that when considering the things that are important to us and the things that truly matter, even though we may not have the perfect setting or the ideal setting, it doesn't mean that we cannot take steps towards having a meaningful life or that we cannot choose what's the step that we can take 
may not be the perfect step, may not be the ideal step, and yet living our values is not about living a perfect life. Now, in the process of living our values, no matter how much clarity we have about them, sometimes we get paralyzed because of our fears of making mistakes, doing things wrong. I'm curious, how do you handle the fear of making mistakes, doing things wrong, and being a failure? Yeah, actually, so I totally have a motto for that because um, I became an accidental entrepreneur. And then in 2005, mm-hmm. I was in a job that was a really bad fit for me, interview for new jobs, and then resigned on my one-year anniversary regardless of whether I had a new job. Mm-hmm. Um, really liked the whole apply for new jobs thing. That was totally cool. That I love interviews. I hated the resign even if you don't have a new job part. I was like, that sounds fairly terrible. So I uh, applied for jobs and got seven interviews set up within two weeks. So I was like, okay, not bad. Mm -hmm. So I did seven interviews. I resigned on my one year anniversary and I didn't get any of the jobs I interviewed for. And I was like, ah, what is going on here? Um, so I literally fell into owning a business and I started doing freelance writing, editing, and photo styling for people who had worked at the company that I had worked at before I was in magazine journalism. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of like that fear of making mistakes, well, everything was pretty much new to me. I mean, I had worked in journalism, so I was not totally ignorant and I had a, a, you know, good, really good network, but like running a business, all that, like I really had never done at all. So I had like a few, like a few different strategies that I think really helped me not to be afraid. Um, One was in regards to my client work my motto was do your best, make it right, learn for next time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's do your best, make it right, learn for next time. So there was times where like, I always tried to do my best, but there's times I didn't do something right. Like I didn't double check something or I I just didn't know I was supposed to do something. And so I had to fix it um, and then learn for next time. So I would take notes like, oh, make sure you double check this, make sure you ask about that detail. So I was always trying to like make fewer mistakes um, and to see it not as like, oh my gosh, I'm a failure. I can't believe I didn't do that. But just be like, I hadn't done this before, you know, like I didn't know. Now I do. And to just give myself the opportunity to learn. So that was a huge part of not beating myself up and not being afraid. Um, A second thing that I think really helped is I was definitely willing to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Um, So like even like I... I fell into it. So I kind of started doing my accounting on my own. So like my first like bit, I think my first like half year of business or maybe, yeah, like my first like three to six months of business, it was just me doing everything on my own. It was just kind of messy. Like I think I had like an Excel sheet that wasn't super organized and um, I was doing my best, but I just didn't know what I was doing. And so about, I think six months into it or so, I reached out to a professional accountant got someone to work with me that like explained how I need to organize things, help set up an Excel sheet. And I was willing to just be like, yeah, so you know, it's like a little messy. Like, what do you need me to do? And to just like be honest and open about, I I wasn't like doing anything wrong or committing fraud or anything like that, but I just didn't have it organized like in the way that an accountant would. Mm -hmm. And so I was just open about that and just like, I need help. Can you help me like get organized? And the same with like, 
um, when I was setting up the structure for my business, I did it on my own the first time and it wasn't as neat as it should be. Things are a little messy at first or you did your best, but you're clearly not an accountant or not a lawyer. You didn't do it all right. And just accepting that and being open versus like, I think the worst thing you can do is not ask for help or not be open, like not tell them what you've done or not done. And then they can't really help you versus, and the same with me as a coach or you with your work, you need people to just be open. And if they created a mess, just tell me like, it's okay. No judgment. Like that's why you're here. And then we're going to clean up the mess together. Um, and so I think that really, really helped just, I'm learning, I'm going to do my best, make it right, learn for next time. And I need help. And so when I do my best, get professionals to help. And then if they're, if you mess things up and it was messy, it's like, okay, well, how do we fix it? And it's okay. Versus like, oh, I'm not going to tell anyone. And I feel so badly or I feel stupid. Like that's just going to make it worse than if you just are transparent. Yeah, totally agree with what you're saying. I think that it can be liberating to ask for help and to accept that things are going to be messy, but learning to live with messiness makes our imperfections livable. Elizabeth, close to the end of this episode, I have my last question. If you were to have a cup of coffee with any person you want today, who will that person be and why? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, this sounds so churchy, so I'm so sorry, but it would be with Jesus. Um, like, I know I sound like so churchy. Oh, like that's like the right answer in Sunday school. Jesus all the time. Um, but I think I, I would have a cup of tea because I don't drink coffee. Um, and uh, I think the reason is that, um, so church is an important part of my life. I feel like if I could have a cup of tea with Jesus and just like understand, like ask him questions like, well, how do you see things? How would you react or respond to things that it would help me understand the world better in terms of what's going on and what my reaction should be? That sounds like an amazing tea time. Elizabeth, thank you so much for chatting with me on the show and sharing all your knowledge and expertise with us. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingitsafe.zone. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon!